0: Hey, my Hello. name is Amanda, and I'm an alcoholic. too hey. tall for you? I think that's fine. to no. get used to it. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm uh, very grateful to be here tonight. Um, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, by default, I uh, love all you guys, since uh, this is Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, a bunch of uh, drunks that used to be hopeless that have found a solution through a power greater than themselves, and I hope that, pray that um, today I can... Uh, Share my experience with that journey. Um, my sobriety date is January twentieth, two thousand eleven. Do the quick math; it's a little over twelve years. So, um, I uh, from fable North Carolina, um, grew up in a military family. Uh, for a long time, I often thought that I should be able to point to something in my childhood as to why I turned out to be an alcoholic, and uh, can't find a reason. I've got a Grew up with a loving family, uh, mother, father, married 56 years, little brother, you know, nothing Nothing wrong, you know, if you could de- define a perfect family with all the love and security and everything a child needs to be stable growing up, I had that. Um, and uh, I still turned out to, to be maladjusted to life in full flight from reality. And um, that was evident from the, be- from the beginning, before, before I ever took a drink. So my, my dad was in the military. Um, we moved around a lot. It was not uncommon every two or three years to pick up and move. Um, ended up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, like a lot of uh, Army families do. And um, when I was, uh, a few years ago, I was moving into an apartment or something, and I came across some old keepsakes that my parents had had from when I was little. And there was a note of me bargaining with the Tooth Fairy for, like, a dollar instead of 25 cents. And, and that's just, you know, from from the beginning, before I ever took a drink, that's the type of kid I was. You know, it was just very, um, had to have things my way. I was going to manipulate the situation. And then you put alcohol in the mix, and it just kind of um, went south very quickly. You know, I... Um, Did did well in school. It was instilled in me to uh, make good grades, to go to college. This was like the expectation. Um, Absolutely, this was the path. Um, And I did well in school. I enjoyed school. Um, Growing up, I would get good good grades in in the classes, but then in behavior, I would get you know bad grades for behavior. And and the teacher, like I think, said I talked too much or whatever. And told told my parents she moved she moved my desk near near her desk and she's like now she just talks to me. So it was like, you know, th- these, this is this is this is who I am, you know, I just very um, very headstrong, very very self centered and uh, in in all areas. So my first introduction, there there was alcohol in the house. Um the, you know my, my dad was in the military. He drank beers after work, you know. Um, there was nothing I would call um, alcoholic uh, abuse or bad examples of unhealthy drinking, you know, um, but there was alcohol in the house and, uh, I was old enough to to look after my little brother. I don't know. Parents were out, I think playing bridge or whatever people do that, that, that age <laughs> back in the eighties. I think they played bridge. And, uh, and, um, just out of pure curiosity, um, uh, uh, I think it was a box of wine and took a little, took a little sip out of a glass and, um, And instantly, it created a change in me. Um, I felt the effect produced by alcohol, and um, I had a spiritual experience right there. Um, I didn't drink the entire um, box, so, like, the physical craving didn't come on. I didn't throw up. I didn't black out. But I do know that that mental obsession from that first half a glass of wine was on because what consumed my every thought, you know, in in seventh grade at this point probably was, like, when are my parents going to leave the house again so I could do that again? And it might have been a month, it might have been a couple weeks, or it might have been going over to a friend's house and waiting for their parents to leave and convincing them to sneak, sneak a little sip out of their parents' stash. Or I was real good at coordinating campouts, you know, and telling everyone, bring, everyone bring a bottle from your parents' house, you know, or uh, I remember going on field trips and like, this is like in junior high and like, you know, dumping out shampoo bottles and, and alcohol in the shampoo bottles to take on the junior high trips. So very quickly, I became very opportunistic, and uh, and what I know now is is was the mental obsession of, of alcohol, um, and it 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 quickly did um, become paramount and, and and cause problems early on. I wouldn't have told you that at the time, but looking back, it, w- it was a problem. Um, on and through junior high, things progressed. High school. Um, it just became more available, you know, whether an older sibling could buy it or you knew the store to go to that would sell it to you, you know, and fake IDs started coming into play, and uh, the more accessible it became, the more, the more I drank. In, um, in high school, I was really good at sports, and um, one thing, backing up a little bit, that's an important part of, of what I identified through, through my inventory and, and a big part of my drinking is... Um, that the ego was was a big part of everything and, and a sense of entitlement, right? And so my dad was an Army officer. Um, we lived on post. And we would um, go on the golf course, and they'd have uh, soda machines, but there would be beer, beer machines. So we could you know, just get beer out of it. And the MPs would come along, and I'd be with the commanding general's son and my dad. And they'd look at our IDs and just kind of turn ahead. And so real early on, I was got this sense of entitlement, like I can get away with things and that carried on in high school. So in high school I was good at sports, made good grades and I'd skip school and instead of going to detention I'd have to go to soccer practice. So I I got a got pass at that. And so um throughout the consequences I did face were 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 just brushed aside and and in my mind it's like oh I can get away with things, right? And and so I had this sense of sense of entitlement. And so um in in high school though I'd gotten uh I guess at the time didn't seem like the first nip of the ringer, but was the first nip of the ringer uh, seemed like a pretty big deal at the time. Um, I got caught with uh, with weed two weeks before my 16th birthday, so so I caught um, juvenile charges. And uh, um, having a criminal history uh, isn't a requirement to be an alcoholic. It is a big part of my story, though. Um, and so this is the first the first signs of that. And so here I am, two weeks before my 16th birthday. I'm on like going to teen court. I'm on juvenile probation. My parents don't know what to do with me. They they raised me perfect. They sent me to youth group and sports and encouraged me to go to college and they're at a loss. They don't know what's going on. So they sent me to a psychologist, right? Um, thinking that's going to fix that. Um and I ended up getting expelled and I went to what's called bad kid school, right? So I'm at this bad kid school <laughs> and uh, it's a bunch of people just like me that like to drink and cut up and and, and act out, and, and, and so I thrive there. And, um, and, and, and what that did was it, like, it fed my ego even more. I don't, I don't know, well, I know why, because it made me feel important. So I'm at this school, and I get back into my regular high school, and now I'm the person that has all the connections. So when people want the beer or the whatever for the party, they're calling Amanda, because now I got all these new connections, it made me feel important. And, and I really thrived off of that. And that also carried on into my, into my drinking history and my drinking careers because, you know, if you wanted the party, call Amanda, you know, and, and she'd bring the stuff and bring the beer and she could go get everything. And, you know, it really um, made me feel good. You know, I got friends, it was center of attention, all these things that, that we love. And so um, after going back into high school, to regular high school, um, I somehow managed to, to finish high school and get into college. And uh, I don't know how that happened, um, but, but I did. Um, and I went off to Chapel Hill. And uh, at Chapel Hill, you know, I didn't know anyone. The principal wasn't my neighbor. The soccer coach wasn't, you know, the best friend. I didn't have people writing me passes. Like, you actually had to go to class. Imagine <laughs> that. Like, they wanted you to actually attend, attend class and write papers and do college stuff. And the um, fact of the matter was, by this point, my disease had, had progressed to the point of um, – to where if it interfered with my drinking, it was out of my life. Um, you know, even even before I went off to college, like, before the soccer games, I couldn't, couldn't even play a soccer game without having something on board. Um, couldn't go to soccer practice. And all the friends that I used to hang out with growing up, church friends, youth group friends, um, athletic friends, um, you know, my world got real, real small, real quick. And... Um, the uh, if if people didn't drink with me or drink like I did, they were out of my life. And um, and so by the time you know I went off to college, you know the, the friend circle was re- was real small. So in college, I gravitated towards uh, the people who like to sit in the dorms and not go to class and, and listen to Wu Tang Clan and smoke blunts and play video games instead of actually going to going to class. And um, before I went off to college, I got involved in some uh some illegal behavior and I wish I could say it was like pay bills or put diapers on a kid or I had some excuse <laughs> as to why I was doing these things right but it was nothing but pure ego it made me feel good um again I like to have the life of the party and then going off to Chapel Hill and, and just going into the bars on Franklin Street and people coming at you and money flying and the loud music and the unta, 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 and the bright lights. and I mean, I just, you know, bring it on, man. You know, I I'm, I loved it, you know, and and I was young, you know, 20, 21, um, um Back then, raves were popular, you know, I'm showing my age. Uh, you know, the rave scene was, was big and, and you know, you couldn't tell me anything. I was living my best life, you know. Um despite the fact I was quickly flunking out of school, despite the fact um, you know I was being watched by the police um, and despite the fact that, um, you know, parents were probably really disappointed at this point, it didn't matter, it was still working for me. The alcohol was still working for me. Um, I was still having fun. And um, in 2001, uh, the chapel police kicked my door in. And uh, I got four felonies, um, and I did what I always did, you know, call mom and dad, give me a fancy lawyer, I'm gonna get out of this, you know, it, literally no thought, like it was just like, they're gonna bail me out, you know, it's not a big deal, been through this before, I'll get out of it, you know, and uh, so I hired a fancy lawyer, you know, what what was it to me? It wasn't my money, right, you know, it's like uh, no big deal, you know, I'll get bailed out, and um, I ended up with uh, ten days in jail. 30 days house arrest, and three years probation. Um, the 10 days in jail, Orange County, it was like hotel. You check yourself in every two days or something like, some kind of cadence like that. I don't know. Um, got a nice bracelet on my ankle. And so I did have enough sense that uh, I should probably stop doing illegal behavior. Um, and instead, I started working at clubs um, where I could cocktail waitress and bartend and make cash money. And people were drinking on the job again the bright lights and the, uh, 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 and the, the party atmosphere you know it, it worked for me so so I'm, i don't have to worry about you know getting arrested now i got like a legal hustle where i'm making cash money and being able to, to use that i can speak loud if you yeah, want to cut go. it off um i thought it was thundering <laughs> yeah, that yeah. yeah. yeah wow. okay wow. It's, a, it's that bass that's in me yeah. can't <laughs> <laughs>
1: I did, I did, I yeah
0: Um, so yeah, I was working at clubs, man. And and again, living, you know, you couldn't tell me anything. didn't matter. I flunked out of school. Didn't matter. I got these criminal charges, man. I'm living, I'm having a ball, having a ball, man, being able to drink at work, making cash money, you know, not, not a care in the world. And I was working at a club in Greensboro, living in Chapel Hill. You guys are kind of from this area, so I have to explain the geography.
1: And, uh, you know, I had to be
0: home at, like, 7 o'clock at night. The messed up part was my probation officer thinks that this is okay, gainful employment. He didn't care as long as I'm paying my restitution and being home at a certain time. And uh, I'm driving down 40 from Greensboro after drinking all day and get a DUI while I'm on house arrest. Yeah, state of North Carolina doesn't like that too much. Um, (laughs) But just to reiterate, that doesn't make me an alcoholic, you know, because my taillight was out or I was speeding or something. That's why I got pulled. It wasn't because I drank. Um, you know, that's, what, that's that was definitely the logic there. So I'm steadily digging myself in this in this legal hole. Um, end up moving to the Greensboro area. Got a new pr- probation officer um, who was not cool with me working at clubs and told me I should probably get a real job, um, which I didn't like so much. And... Uh, This is where things kind of started to get a little um, in compliance mode. Um, The probation officer uh, liked to give me drug tests and breathalyzers and never was able to pass those, and he thought it a good idea that I'd probably go to an outpatient program or, um, yeah, an intensive outpatient program. So it's kind of my first introduction to anything uh, treatment-wise or recovery-wise. I went to walker a uh, treatment center in Ashburn, North Carolina. It's in Randolph County, and it was a 15 hour week drunk school, man, and you know what? I got an A-plus. I sat in that front row, and I raised my hand, and I told the counselor how to do her job, <laughs> and then I'd go to the N.A. and the A meetings afterwards to get my paper signed. Sometimes I would just sit down in my apartment with, like, different color pencils and, like, forge the signatures and stuff. Oh, nice. and I, you know, um, don't get any ideas. I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, and, uh, or I'd meet people at the meetings, and we'd go get drunk after the meetings, you know, just total disregard <laughs> For, for anything. I think I, I did get some information probably about, about alcoholism and addiction, but um, you know it was a total farce. I mean, it was literally because the probation officer's like, you gotta go to this thing. I had no interest in being there. I'm 22 and I'm sitting in meetings and people are sharing their stories and I can't identify. Now that I can't identify, I refuse to identify because I don't wanna be like you guys. So I found every uncommon reason as to why I was not one of you guys because it's still working for me despite the consequences, despite having this bracelet on my ankle, despite not being able to pass a breathalyzer once a week, despite flunking out of school, despite having now multiple charges on top of my felonies and continually getting in trouble with probation. Didn't matter, man. It was still working. You know, did not matter. It was still working. And uh, so that carried on. I mean, intensive outpatient slowed me down a little bit. Um, maybe stop doing, stop doing some things, but definitely continue, continue drinking, anything I kind of get away, get away with. Um, and then a few months after that, uh, the next, the next thing that came down the pipeline was an inpatient program, a Davidson Alcoholic Treatment Center in Thomasville, North Carolina. And, again, one of these times I moved, I came across my old paperwork that I took notes on from these treatment centers, so I know I was there and accounted for because <laughs> um, there's evidence. And and, and and what I was writing down about the steps and looking back, I mean, they were telling good good stuff, and I remember them taking us out to meetings, so, like, nothing against the treatment center. They were giving the good information. Um, at the, at, back then, there were 28-day treatment centers. Now they seem to be, like, 30 or 60. Back then, it was just 28 days. That's it um and day 29 um a friend of mine picked me up totally planned, you know booze in the car right. o- off we go you know and, and my poor parents man they thought i was going to be cured they thought 28 day uh. at a treatment center was going to cure me they had me set up with like an apartment <laughs> you know move my stuff in god bless them man they uh they, they did the best they could. I think the lady at the treatment center told them never to give me a $20 bill, and I think that's what they took away from that experience because <laughs> they took that to heart. They never gave me actual cash, but they they continued to make sure I wasn't homeless. So, um, so yeah, so after the that uh, uh, inpatient experience, um, back off to the races, nothing different. By August, I think I was back in court in another probation violation. I'm like, whatever, I'm going to hire a lawyer This seems to be working, throw some money at the problem see the lawyer and the probation officer yucking it up in the courtroom, feeling pretty good. Um, and then I go in front of the judge, and the judge slammed the gaffle down and says, sentence activated. And uh, that next day, very quickly, that next day, within 24 hours, I was at 1034 Bragg Street in a maximum security facility, serving my time on my suspended sentence on the, on the felonies that I'd gotten like three years prior to that. So for like three years, I try to control and enjoy with my freedom on the line and, and could not do that successfully, it was not enough um, motivation. Um, and I wish I could sit here and tell you I went to prison and got out and got sobered. No, it didn't happen. Um, you'd think that would be some motivation. didn't happen. Um, I actually maxed out my sentence. I don't know who does that. I do. Uh, you, you don't have to max out your sentence. If you actually act right, you can do the minimum. Um, but uh, they have a thing called, like, jail inside of the prison. And uh, I was in there most of the time. I thought it was fun go run around with people and smoke cigarettes and cut up and have no supervision um you know i was spent my 24th birthday in single cell i'd gotten jumped and my face was like pretty unrecognizable and i was in a single cell for my own protection mind you and uh the no mirror right it's like a you flip over an aluminum tray mm-hmm. probably what it looks like and i remember looking at it and just like what are you doing and 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 it was no Nothing clicked, you know. I, I think I was in there long enough to like kind of come to, and at this point, you know, my uh, drinking was at a proportion of 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 where you know it kind of wasn't fun, but it was just really the consequences. Like it was still fun, I just didn't want the consequences. Um, and luckily, you know, there there was AA um, in prison, and and I would go, but it was mostly just to get out the quiet at night and uh, drink coffee and smoke cigarettes. It wasn't, you know, I didn't really honestly think I was you know, wanting, wanting any help, I did actually, uh, supposedly get a sponsor and work through step three. So I guess, you know, with what I had at the time, the desire I had, I guess I did the best I could. Um, when I got released, I, uh, one thing when, you know, when I would call home, um, my mom would say that she was glad I was in prison because she could sleep at night. And that was kind of a hard thing to hear, you know, but she knew that she wouldn't be reading about me in the bituary until I got jumped. And then she didn't like it so much. But up until that point, she kind of was at peace that I was in in prison. Um, They came to visit me once, you know, um, which was kind of hard, but, uh, Anyway, so work worked through step three um, is, is the best effort I could have at the time. Um, and I got out, and I went straight to a meeting. I was quite proud of myself. I got out at, like, 9 a.m., and at noon I was at 604 German Street at Central Group in Fayetteville. And I'm like, wow, man, I'm doing great. Just got out of prison. I'm in a meeting already. You know, and then I go back to the meeting the next day, and then I go back to the meeting the next day. I go back to the meeting the next day. For 70 days, I went to a meeting. The other 23 hours of my day, I was like... Sit around the card table watching people smoke and drink and do their thing and just drooling, watching them. And then I'd go back to my meeting. Um, and uh met somebody in the meeting. Two newcomers, yeah, we had a good time. We just roared up, roared off to New York City for two years. Yeah, that's how, that's how that, that ended. Yeah, and... and um, yeah, and so what happened from that time to the time I actually came in the rooms was eight years of incomprehensible demoralization. Um, that's, you know, as quick as I'm going to say that. Um, violated myself, violated my family, had everything must go sale at my parents' house. Um, you know, the big book talks about these, these morals, and, morals and codes that we have, you know. Um, mine was like, oh, we're going to hang out and I'm not going to steal from you, but hold on, I'll go to my parents' house and, like, steal from them, and that's okay because they're my parents'. You know, like, it's my, what's theirs is mine, right? Yeah. So that's kind of the the, the those code of, codes of morals that I had. It was kind of looked something like that. And then um, also was on probation several other times. I don't know how I did end up back in prison. I didn't. Maybe I kind of got the probation thing figured out by then. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I did catch uh, a lot more charges, you know, um, a lot more felonies. So, yeah, my criminal record doesn't look too good, but that's okay. Um <laughs> the, the, uh, it is okay it is it's okay I'm employed today and I'll get to that and I'll get to that I'll tell you why it's okay um so yeah so so what 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 ensued in those in those eight years between the time that I like tried AA out of prison and you know fear sobered me a bit and then the time that that I actually like came in um was that I found myself in a position of uh you know, disgusting and dangerously antisocial. Like, I went from being that party girl, right, that loved the bars and the nightlife and the uh, unta, 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 and then I'd go hanging out at the, like, most sordid spots in Fayetteville, like what we would call trap houses, and I thought it cool that, like, um, I would answer the door at these trap houses and that the the people would let me serve the liquor, you know, the two-finger shots of scotch, and and, and I thought this was cool, you know. Um, I'm thinking these are my friends and this is where I belong, you know. Um, in the insanity of the fact that like one time somebody like kicked the door down with a gun, you know, it thought it was a police raid, they were just getting robbed. And then the very next day I'm back there again, you know, that, that's, that's nothing but insanity. Um, and, and then getting put out of those places because they didn't, <laughs> I was causing trouble, right? <laughs> getting put out of those places and then just being alone in my apartment by myself, um, that, an apartment that my parents paid for, by the way, um. And just, just paranoid, isolated, alone, only like leaving to go get what I had to get and come back home, you know, um, and, and not even really hanging around with people, you know, just, just being um, very isolated. And so what happened, uh, I guess it would have been, so January, I got served what January 20th, 2011, right? So January 1st, 2011, I had a notion on New Year's Eve to go to an A meeting, a uh, notion, right? Um don't know where it came from, just a notion. And instead, I went back to one of those trap houses to celebrate New Year's Eve. But I needed every single drop of booze I put in my system for those last 20 days to give me the point of, of to have that gift of desperation to do something different. Um, and I distinctly remember being in my bathroom, because that's where I hung out. You know, I had a roommate at the time. And the reason I was hanging out in my bathroom is because I was ashamed. I was trying to be, I was ashamed of what I was doing, and I was hiding from, well, I thought I was hiding from my roommate she knew what I was doing. Um, but, uh, I was alone in my bathroom and a voice to this day, the clearest I could ever say I heard the voice of God said, pick up the phone and go to an AA meeting. And that's the first, first thing I, first suggestion I took, you know, wholeheartedly was I picked up the phone, and went to an AA meeting and, um, an old family friend who had, who'd been sober, you know, I called her and I said, uh, you know, I need to go to a meeting. She was like, absolutely. We'll pick you up tomorrow, you know? And, uh, Of course, I had like $10 left, so you know what time that was. Had to get spend spend that last $10. (laughs) Time to get sober, got to spend the last $10. Um, And so, yeah, I bought a few tall boys and, like, figured I better shower. Going out in public, a meeting, better shower, yeah. And I didn't go to sleep, though. I didn't think about sleeping. Um, At that point, sleep was kind of optional. Um, and so I I was showered and had a few tall boys on board, probably been up for a few days, got picked up for this AA meeting and, uh, went in and, um, picked up a white chip and was, uh, probably like pretty sure I was like bawling and hot mess. And, uh, the women there surrounded me and, uh, There they have uh, these trifold pamphlets where people put phone numbers on the back of the the meeting list. And and the women put their numbers down. And um, on the way home from that meeting, uh, the lady who who gave me a ride, the family friend, said, here's a number of young lady. You know, she's your age. I think think you should call her. She works a good program. You know, and then that was the second suggestion I took. So I get get home to my apartment. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm still drunk, you know. Um, And I called this young lady, and um, she was at my door within like 10 minutes. And twelfth step me. Um, We went outside on the picnic table in my apartment complex, and uh, we talked. And I had my bags packed, man. I thought I I was like, I got to go to treatment, I got to go detox, I got to go away somewhere. And she was like, "Mm, Why don't you go to bed and let's try working some steps? And uh, I'm like, Okay, you know. And that was kind of foreign to me. Come to find out, she had she was on a date. She like left her date to come. Twelve step me, and um, that's something I'll never forget. Unfortunately, she's not sober today. Um, but you know, I keep hoping I'll see her, see her in these rooms. Um, I know she's around, but uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll be forever grateful for that. That she, for the time she was sober, she took that that responsibility statement seriously, and um, and and I'll never forget that. You know, I'll, I'll never forget that she left a date to come come talk to me. And so what happened from there was uh. I I, I essentially submitted, um, I submitted everything you guys told me. I quit deciding things for myself. Um, and it wasn't because, um, I was smart or or figured it out. It was just because alcohol beat me in a state of reasonableness and I had no other options. Circumstances made me willing. That's it. You know, I wasn't virtuous. I wasn't deserving. It was just, I was done, (laughs) done. And, uh, you know, the, um, the home group um, that I had at first was central group, and, and, you know, I did. I went to a lot of meetings. You know, I didn't go to detox. I ended up detoxing on my couch, um, ate a lot of candy. Um, that list that the ladies gave me, you know, I'd go down the list and just call people. And, and they would all tell me the same thing. They would say, read doctor's opinion and call me back. And i call the next person. they say, read doctor's opinion and call me back. i call the next person. And I'm like, this is a conspiracy. Like, I literally thought everybody was in... Um, a room conspiring because it's all about me and they're like we're gonna play a joke on her and tell her to read doctor's opinion I had I mean I had no clue what this thing was right but you know what I didn't drink you know and um I would go to a noon meeting go home go to 5:30, go home go to 8 o'clock go home and that's what I needed you know I needed um I needed that because I was unemployable um and I got involved you know I remember um People having to tell me to sit down, you know, I was just pinging all over the place. I hadn't sat still in 15 years, you know. I hadn't sat still in 15 years. I was, I was a Looney Tune, Looney Tune man. And and luckily, I was in a home group that like had some women that, that kept me busy. You know, they they told me to they smoked, empty the ashtrays, <laughs> mopped the floors, and and you know, seemed very simple at the time. But um, what I was learning was to becoming becoming useful, um, which was something I hadn't been in a really long time. Um that the first, the lady who came in twelfth STEM, ended up becoming, becoming my sponsor. And, uh, we started meeting and, um, in retrospect, we went through the book really slow, but that's okay. Um, it, it worked, you know, um, you know, it looking back it, it's, a, it's, it's, amazing. Like, cause I have dates in the book and now when I'm like reading it, I'm like, man, you know, I, it took me a long time, but, uh, you know, the God of my understanding was, was there with me. And so, um, when we went, uh, I remember distinctly meeting her for step one and, uh, I was given instructions to, to write a drinking history. I, well, I did, I got those instructions and, uh, it was helpful for me though. Because see, I thought drugs were my problem. Um, I did not really identify what alcoholism was. And so it was very helpful for me to read uh daughter's opinion and get that definition. What is alcoholism and learn about the physical allergy and the phenomena and the uh, mental obsession and to read about, um, Bill's story and to see how he got sober and, um, to look at all the examples and more about alcoholism. Um, all of that was crucial to, to lead me up to learning to concede to my inner self that was alcoholic, because I was like the last one to know, right? Everybody knows I was an alcoholic but me. Um, and so I remember meeting with my sponsor, and I'd written down, I was, I was the best at putting like lipstick on a pig. Um, uh, and, and to this day, I'm good at that, right? I think we all are. Uh, I can minimize any situation. And it would always be like it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. I wasn't homeless well not technically but sure would have been if mom and dad hadn't been paying that rent bill you know um or you know oh i never really drank that much but then once i like wrote it down like alcohol was was present from the beginning you know um it was always there um and so that was very helpful and i remember going to meet with my sponsor and i was excited because i wanted to get a plus in the steps right and so i got my first little writing assignment i meet with my sponsor and She's like, that's not for me. Like, I know you're an alcoholic. Like, what do you think about these things, you know? And so um, very quickly, uh, I was able to, to, to understand what alcoholism is and not just, you know, a lot of us, you know, I know I did. It came here to kind of just make the stuff stop, like make the consequences stop, make the pain stop, whatever that looks like, make the, the spiritual bankruptcy stop. Um, but what, what was presented was so much more because very quickly that obsession to drink was removed. Um, and what I was left with was a hot mess um, you know, prey to misery and depression, can't control my emotional nature, feeling of uselessness, full of fear. What I had left was untreated alcoholism. And, um, you know, alcohol was a power greater than myself. Um, I worshiped it, you know, it control told me what pants leg to put on, told me where to spend my money, you know, told me what to do. And you take that away and you don't give me something better quickly. Why would I still hang out with you guys? And, um, luckily I was, uh, a part of, uh, Luckily, I had a higher power that, that shoved me into a community that showed me how to have fun. That, that had some other people that were um, had similar goals, similar age, and that we would go to movies and and hang out. Not that that was my primary reason, but it was definitely helpful um, to to learn how to have fun in sobriety. Going to the dances, we used to come up here to the the tack carry dances. You know, Fayetteville didn't have a lot going on. We'd come up here a lot. So thank you guys for for hosting those things because that that it meant a lot to me in early recovery. Um, and so once, once I kind of got the step one part down and, you know, was really uh, understood what alcoholism was and, and, and really could admit that um, I, had, I had alcoholism, um, I was able to, to move on, um, you know, being restored to sanity um, just by uh, putting the plug in the jug. Uh, I was able to, to be restored to sanity. <laughs> Um, I was able to be restored to sanity just by not drinking. Um, but the, the, the deeper level of sanity of the fact, can I, like, uh, be a participating member of my family? Like, can I show up? Can I learn how to apply these spiritual principles? And I'll be honest, looking back, like, the first passage, the steps were not about applying spiritual principles. It was about, for me, my experience, it was going through the motions and getting the lay of the land. Um, so... The first pass, of the steps, I was on, when I was on step three, um, you know, I grew up in church, didn't have a problem with God, but that, that was all I had, right? It was this childlike conception of God, didn't really have an understanding about being open-minded. It was just like, okay, this is sufficient for now, all right? Let's keep going. Um, and uh, with step three, I remember I was living in uh, the apartment I wasn't paying for, which was also in a friend of mine's name who had passed away, um, and it was time to renew the lease, and I was convinced that it was okay to renew the lease in a dead man's name. Um, probably about four months over, and my sponsor's like, "Absolutely not! It's not spiritual. You can't do that." And I'm like, "Why not? I don't understand. Because if not, I don't have the credit to like get an apartment, and then I'm gonna have to move, and then I have to pay a deposit, and then it's be such an inconvenience. Like, why can't I just renew it?" So I went to the property manager, and I told the property manager, "Hey, this guy's not with us anymore. Oh, that's okay. We'll renew it." I, good news, go back to my sponsor, the property manager's okay with it. She's like, just because she's a liar doesn't mean you're going to be a liar. (laughs) So that was kind of a battle. But but at the moment, it was kind of when I was on step three. And and finally, after a lot of fighting, by that point, I kind of shown a little demonstration of, of, of the fact I might be able to stay sober one day at a time. And of course, Good old mom co-signed uh, the lease. And it turned out we got the first month's rent-free. We still had to move, but some nice guys from AA helped us move. Anyway, it turned out better than than what I thought. And that was kind of my first glimpse of, like God working in my life. Never mind you, I hadn't drawn a sober breath for 15 years, um, but I was pretty hard-headed. I kind of needed to see some evidence, um, and that was kind of some good evidence for me there in early recovery. I also started the process of getting back into that college I had flunked out of, and, uh, I got on the phone with one of the deans, and I'm like, yeah, what do I do? I've been out of school, you know, flunked out, you know, I'm in AA, and she's like, oh, I'm in Al-Anon, you know, and I'm like, cool, you know, and all these things start happening, right, and I'm like, oh, I gotta go to the courthouse and get, you know, a stack of depositions that big, and mail it off, and, um, ended up getting back into school, so yeah, all these good things start happening, um, throughout, throughout the, the early parts of recovery, so I was getting these promises, right, things are going good, and, uh, And I did, I had a good run. I mean, started big part of, uh, of early recovery was, uh, we started going to detox centers. Um, and I didn't know what I was saying. I had like three months sobriety. I was just following copycat. You know, I did that out on the streets. I was good at copying people. So early recovery, I'd go to, go to detoxes on, on Saturdays and I just listened for a while. And then eventually I started sharing, you know, and, um, and that was a big part of uh of, of being able to stay sober, was uh doing some service work. Um I did do do a four-step, you know, I did put pen to paper. Um I did get on my knees with my sponsor and say the third step prayer. Um and then and then write a four step, and in that four step inventory, uh I was given a worksheet. Um I started filling out this worksheet, and I'm like, mm, this doesn't really seem right. Like, it's kinda. Checking boxes, I don't think that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know why I intuitively knew that, but um, I talked to an old-timer, and he kind of showed me the example in the book, and, and then I was able to, to write it out as, as, the, as the example in the book to the best of my ability. And uh, I remember sitting sitting with my sponsor uh, going over the fifth step for the first time, and, uh, you know, I went after we went over the fifth step, I sat in the uh, church. Uh, it was around Christmas, and I sat in the, the church garden with the bells ringing silent night, waiting for spiritual experience and angels to come down and (laughs) none of that happened but what did happen was um, at that point in in my recovery I'd started uh, to become one with the world again right I had an internship I was working um, my fears fell from me I was able to walk with confidence you know those those fifth step promises started coming true in my life and that black cloud alcoholism kind of was was gone away and I became a part of um, the world again and I did experience that, and it wasn't sudden. It was subtle. And, 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 and little by slowly, I became a part of the community. Um, six and seven, um, first pass. You know, m- identify character defects. Um, really didn't have a good grasp on on what that what that meant as as to what I what I do today. I really don't have a great grasp on it now. What I do know is that when my character defects cause me as much pain as my drinking, then I'm ready to do something about them. <laughs> You know, and that's true today. If, if, I, if I hurt somebody with a lash of my tongue or, or gossip or uh, cause problems in errors in areas of my life, you know, um, those character defects are evident. I do take an inventory and I'm able to identify those character defects. Um, but that first pass, they were, step six and seven were very elusive to me. Um, now they're pretty straightforward. It's like, am I God? God remove the obsession to drink. Am I willing? Do I am, do I understand that God could remove these character defects with with my help, right? And and I do believe that. Um, and through inventory and application, that's helpful. And and really, it's me and my sponsor really working on that a lot now with um, taking looks at relationships in my life and, and where I can improve those things. Um, my amends. The first pass of my amends were like. Uh, you know, direct amends, um, you know, they, they weren't that big of a deal. I really got a a lot of relief from, from the financial amends. I know that sounds weird. Um, but it was a very spiritual experience to, uh, after some time in the program, having the financial ability to save up some money to go make financial amends and, uh, admitting to this guy that I had stolen from him and paid him the money back and like tears start coming down his eyes and he gives me a hug, you know, very spiritual, um, I didn't think I, I harmed uh, my brother. Uh, my brother's a few years younger than me, and it was explained to me. You know, when I was at prison at 1034 Bragg Street, he was a freshman at NC State, and that uh, people probably asked him how his sister was doing, and he probably like didn't point down to the prison and say she's down there. He probably lied. You know, um, that I caused some shame, and and there's there were times where he called upon me to like pick him up. He broke his arm or something, and. Called his older sister to come get him, and I'm drunk, you know, couldn't take him, stuff like that. So a sponsor was very helpful in pointing out these these amends, um, and what that looked like with my family. You know, I would show up to meetings early, um, help set up for meetings, stay late. Um, I told you, you know, I would steal from my parents. So first few months of being sober. Uh, my mom would still hide her purse upstairs, and I, you know, I didn't get it. I'm sober. Why are you hiding your purse upstairs, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, I would actually, you know, show up and, and, and help set the table and be present and not not hit the phone to voicemail and, and actually answer the phone and, and say hello and um, ask how their day's doing and not harass them for $20, you know, um, and, <laughs> And uh, I don't know when it was, but a few months into sobriety, I looked over and uh, my mom had stopped hiding her purse upstairs. You know, it wasn't anything I like. I don't even know if I made amends by then yet, but like, it was just uh, by showing that I was changing and applying these principles. So around a year of sobriety, um, I put my hands on my roommate. So yeah, I was not really applying, learning how to apply spiritual principles. So I put my hands on a roommate got a new sponsor, confessed to the sponsor what I was doing, and she, like, picked up my big book that was all highlighted and noted. I've been to all these big book studies and workshops, and I knew all the warnings and the timelines and the requirements and the promises and the 200 promises and the, all that stuff. And she looked at it, and she was like, you don't know how to apply this to your life. <laughs> and she was absolutely right. And uh, that's what I call it. I see she raised me. She, she had me from, like, year two to six, you know. She she raised me and she showed me how to apply these principles in my life to the best of my ability. And what that looked like is um, being able to be a productive member of society. I had a I had one had one relationship in recovery. It was healthy. It didn't last, but that's fine. Uh, didn't cuss each other out or throw phones at each other. Or, you know, just didn't work out. Um, I uh, was able to to finish uh, schools and and stuff like that. But the biggest stuff that has happened is the ability to. Uh, be able to be um, a daughter and a a sister and a a godmother like my brother um he got married and uh has two little nephews and, and i'm their godparent like me i got like 10 felonies and 10 misdemeanors and a hopeless alcoholic and now i'm your somebody's godparent like that's what you guys have given me um i can sit here and rattle off all the material accomplishments like House, car, degrees, career, whatever, but that's not what it's about. Because um, I know a drop of a hat, any of that can get gone. Um, what it's about is being able to uh, be um, present and be excited about life. And I and I do want to to touch on this is that um, I'm free today. I can do anything I want, and I do some pretty crazy stuff. Um, you know, I uh, I do like uh, long distance um, marathons and triathlons, and and. I mean, it sounds, like, mundane, but um, it's a gift to be able to do that. I could wake up tomorrow and and say I want to go do a marathon, go do a marathon, you know. That's not for everyone. I'm not saying everyone should go out and do a marathon, but whatever it is, right. So I was athletic when I was younger, um, and so I've reconnected with that part of myself. And and, and I encourage people who are new, like, sobriety is great, man. Um, It's exciting. It's fun. You know, um, you get to really be truly free, you know, if you're into art. Could be an artist, you know. Get back into music, be a musician, you know. The the sky's the limit. Um, I'm not controlled by alcohol anymore. I can do whatever I want, um, and I had a good, a real good run with recovery for ten and a half years. And um, like you guys told me, um, if I don't f- perfect and enlarge my spiritual life, I can't survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. And I'm so glad that like my passion and love for Alcoholics Anonymous has never ceased Um, because a year and a half ago I was starting a new job I was one week into a new job and I was actually on the way to take an exam like life's perfect and I get a phone call um that my mom was hit by a car and died yeah just like that out of the blue um her and my dad were out of town and uh it just turned my world upside down you know and um I was so plugged into AA I didn't have to call AA AA called me like, I'm calling, you know, I'm just in shock, and then about, like, two hours after I got the news, I get a phone call from another alcoholic asking about the bookstore. <laughs> was I going to volunteer at the bookstore? And it seems silly, but it's because I was so plugged into AA, I didn't even have to make the effort. Like, AA was there. God was there. God puts you guys there in my path, and within, like, an hour, I had, like, people praying with me at my house. I had my old sponsor driving from Wilson. I had, like, all the women in my network who love me were in my living room, you know, just like that. Um, and not only in that moment, you know, but, like, the weeks after. And I'll tell you what, like, when I first got sober, like, I needed those meetings. But during this time, it wasn't because I wanted to drink. It was just, like, meetings were about the only place I had any kind of peace just for that one hour. Um, during that the, the the weeks following, I had a friend of mine picking me up every night and taking me to meetings um, and you guys love me, and you're still loving me it's a process you know, and so I'm here to tell you like stuff's gonna happen and and I knew it was going to happen to me uh it, and it did um and then uh but I got through it you know, and I got through it with you guys and and i didn't didn't want to drink and the amazing part is that um and I was talking to my sponsor about this other night <laughs> um it said, "I don't have resentment towards the the person who who hit my mom. Like there was, it was, it was just a messed up accident. Um, but you guys taught me that, you know. And and I thought, is it weird that I don't have a resentment? I'm like, well, why are you trying to make stuff up? Like if you don't have one, you don't have one. <laughs> but but it's because I've been taught forgiveness and love, you know, and the and grace. And um and and that's really just just from God. And a lot of stuff that that I've been working on." So that happened in 2021. It's 2023. I got a new sponsor. I got a new home group. If anything, it really just shoved me into into seeking and, and, and opening up to 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 God working in my life even more um, through through a tra- through tragedy. And 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 I'm I'm real grateful for that. Again, that's nothing that I've done. It's, it's everything I learned from you guys. And so what it looks like now is that I'm like praying more. I'm spending more time in prayer and meditation in the morning. I'm I'm reading outside books, um, asking people what they're doing, and I'm just – that step two, that open-mindedness that I needed at the beginning, I, like, need it even more now because that's how I'm going to spiritually grow, and and this past year has been evidence of that. I think I've grown more this past year spiritually than I probably have in the first ten years of my sobriety. So the good news is, you know, uh, you continue to grow, (laughs) and uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is is a life of, of true freedom from alcoholism and freedom from self. Um, So anyway, I think that's all I got, thanks.